Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Well, hey guys, so good to be with you today. Even if I'm flat me today, it is so good to see you, so good to be with you. I'm so grateful that I get to spend this bit of time with you. And listen, if you are here and you are not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, or maybe you're deconstructing or reconstructing or trying to figure out exactly what it is that you believe, we want you to know that this is a safe place and that you don't have to belong here before you believe. In fact, you can, or you can rather, belong here before you believe. You don't have to believe in order to belong. So thank you again for being with us. Now, today, we continue in our series, The Rootless Elimination of Hurry. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about some of the things that lead to an unsustainable, stingy, non-abundant life. We talked about the need to form our identity properly and know to whom we belong and that once we know who we are in Christ, then we don't have to worry about our core identity being formed by anything else. We talked about what it means to unhurry and that Jesus invites us into a life without hurry. And then last time we were together, we talked about withdrawal and what it means to necessarily and rightly pull away, not isolate, but pull away with God. Today, we're going to talk about the practice of Sabbath, of Sabbath. So of course, again, core identities, and then into these different practices that allow us to operationalize the thing that we've come to believe about ourselves and who we are in Christ. And so one of these practices that we're going to discuss today is called Sabbath or Shabbat, the need to slow down. If you have a Bible, paper, or digital, and maybe you want to hit the QR code there now to get the notes, we're going to be at the very beginning today, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, This is the very start of the Word of God and God kind of telling the story of how things were going to unfold and how eventually they did unfold in his creation narrative. So Genesis chapter two, verses one through four, hear the word of the Lord. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. The word of the Lord, and I hope you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would attend to us in your word and that we would indeed be fully transformed upon hearing it. No matter where we are coming from, no matter where we are with or walking away from or running toward Jesus, would you meet with us now in Jesus' name, amen. It's about 
four in the morning. I was tossing and turning and turning and tossing, unable to sleep, mind filled with all of the things that I needed to get done that day, all of the things that were coming, all of the things that were pressing in. You see, as a workaholic and a recovering workaholic still, I had bought into the American system, just like everybody else, run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, do as much as you can. But when you live that way, eventually it begins to crowd out your mind and every every other thought in it. And when you live like that, eventually you'll hit a wall. And for me, in those days when I did finally hit my wall, I completely burned out. And I've shared that with you before, but I keep sharing it in hopes that you would see it as an opportunity to do things differently. But what that burnout afforded me also was an opportunity. An opportunity to discover the discipline, the the spiritual treasure we're going to talk about today called Shabbat. And what I learned about myself, and, and I believe it's fairly true for all of us in our Western culture, what I learned about myself through the practice of Shabbat is that the reason I didn't like to rest is because we believe somewhere deep down, it's been pushed into our core, it's been pushed into our culture, it's been pushed into who we've been formed as, as people in this world. Somewhere deep down, we believe that rest is for the weak. That if we admit vulnerably that we have limitations, that we can't just keep going, that we can't just keep pushing, that we can't just keep driving, then somehow we are admitting that we are weak. At least that's what it was for me. And I believe we could be honest today that some version of that, some version of that is your reality as well. We believe rest is for the weak. But that's not giving us an abundant life. That's not giving us a life desirable. And so what's our alternative? If we're going to shake the idea that rest is for the weak, but that in fact we have limitations that necessitate rest, what's the alternative? It's something that I shared with you all last year and and something that has become somewhat of a mantra for me. And that is that we're going to work from rest not for rest, that we're going to work from rest, not for rest. God is inviting each of us to flip the paradigm on its head and rather than running and running and running and running and running until we run out of steam and fall over into some sort of forced slowing down, we can flip the paradigm And we can actually do all of our work from a position of restedness. 
In that, I believe, we'll find the delightful path and the abundant and flourishing life. Now, if you want to follow along with me, whether you're followers of Jesus or not, all of us are familiar with the creation story. The author of Genesis says that God created the earth out of nothing. Ex nihilo is that uh, specific Greek word, and it existed in some primordial state, void and formless. And from this verse flows the description of a nearly symphonic, beautiful, creative expulsion from God's very presence. Sun and moon and stars, all formed by the declaration of his words. You see, in the beginning was God. And the creation of the world is the work of God. And in fact, there are eight kind of renowned breakdowns of how this creation work took place, one on each day, except for days three and six, when there were two. Now, the first three days, it says that God makes the, product, the unproductive Productive, look at this with me. Day one, light and darkness. Day two, sky and waters. Day three, land and seas and vegetation. And then on the second three days, God makes what was formerly uninhabitable, inhabited. Day four, luminaries. Day five, fish and fowl. Day six, beasts. And then finally, human, male and female. Here in the beginning of... The Bible, God speaks 10 times with seven commands for creation and creatures and three pronouncements regarding humanity. It was good. It was good. It was very good. But the pinnacle of creation is on day six. When God makes humankind, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he surveys what he has produced and he determines that all his productivity is indeed good. In fact, verse one of chapter two says, heaven and earth are completed and inhabited. And what had been in total disarray is now set in order. God organized, God added, God shaped, God formed, God gave focused and assigned limits to his creation, making the whole function properly because of the part. And then there was a shift in the creation story. Can you slow down long enough to feel it? Make, shape, form, make, shape, form, make, shape, form, speak into existence. God was busy. God was productive. God was incredibly active for six days. And then there was a shift. There's a shift in the narrative. The creation drama does not flow in ceaseless activity. No, it says in verse two, and God rested. Hear those words again. God rested. God rested. The creator of the universe, Yahweh, rested the maker and former of all things who the Bible says neither sleeps nor slumbers rested. He rested. Why 
can't we? You see, the climactic seven days different in description from the first six creative days of work. The introductory formula, thus God said, is not present because his creative declaration is over. It's not required. The closing refrain, evening and morning, is not used to indicate anything in its termination. The implication is that God meant, listen, to enjoy a perpetual rest and his creation to enjoy a perpetual rest that he provided. The seventh day again is unique. It is blessed and consecrated by God as unique. And lastly, what stands out about the seventh day is that it is not paired. It has no complementary pair. But at the center of all those crucial observations is the jarring declaration that God rested. That having completed his work, having finished what he set out to do, having fulfilled his vision, he rested. And giving the name work to the acts of creation that he rested from ennobled human work to its highest conceivable degree. Now, the word translated rested here is the Hebrew word Shabbat, where we get our word, what? Sabbath. And it's repeated twice in these few verses that God took a Shabbat or God took a Sabbath. Now, maybe you're not stuck on this as I am, but I've been stuck on this for Sometime, ever, ever since I began to study this idea, I've been stuck on this. That if God is God, why does he need to rest? God does not sleep. God does not weaken. God does not weary. God does not tire. Why would God need rest? He doesn't. And understanding that he doesn't is what makes this passage so powerful. He doesn't need rest. God's rest was not due to fatigue, but due to completion. He finished his work. He had nothing left to do. He ceased from his creative activity. Even God's work is not endless. Why do we treat ours as though it is? If God sees an end to his work, must we not too? Is it not startling that creation moves toward rest? Not the rest of one who is exhausted, listen, but the rest of one who is satisfied. Who is satisfied, complete one who looks over the good work that they have done and reflects on it and delights in it. So why did God rest? God rested to delight in and reflect on what he made. God rested to delight in, to delight in. And look over with great joy and love 
and kindness reflect on what he had made. Interestingly, the theologian Karl Barth reminds us that to talk about God at rest is to talk about God as loving. Why? Because never ceasing, never satisfied, never finding time for any creature does not characterize a loving God. God's love for what he made is reflected in his willingness to rest from making. God has no aversion to labor, but he celebrates the completion of the work. And by sanctifying the seventh day, verse 3, by sanctifying the seventh day and his rest on it, he invites us into the rhythms of the same. He invites us to experience that level of delight. God rested not only to reflect and delight, but he also had us in mind. He does not weary, but we do. He does not tire, but we do. He needs no reminder that his identity is not tied to his productivity, but we do. Work will return for us in a seven-day week, but the Sabbath is a gift to take us a day and enjoy and love what is. And look at the world not as something to be conquered or formed or even created, but as something to find simple, satisfied delight in. In rest, in Sabbath rest, we receive a world, the world as God gives it, and cease to seek to control. God and his children share in the celebration of good creation and God's people are enjoyed and enjoined to enter into the rhythm of work and joyful, playful, fruitful rest. Now, if we were to ask why this message matters for us today, I think it would be very clear We work more than 137 hours than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, 499 more hours per year than French workers. We are an unrested people. Last time we were together, we talked about silence and solitude, but how do we get to silence and solitude if we cannot slow down and rest long enough to practice it. The rhythm God offers us flows joyfully from rest to work, to rest. Sabbath rhythms reflect the rhythm that undergirds all of creation, all work, paid and unpaid, is good. But it needs the boundaries of Sabbath rest to be fulfilling in the way that God truly intended it to be fulfilling. Rest reminds us that we are not in control. We are not in control. It is a restraint God has built into our lives. It is a reminder that we are dependent people. Rest recalibrates our souls, helping us to remember that it is he who keeps the world turning. And this is the rest that I hope for for you today. But where do we start? 
with that simple phrase, work from rest, not for rest. In fact, maybe it's a consideration of altering your calendar in a way where you put your rest in first and then you figure out your work. Whatever it is, that is the invitation to work from rest and not for rest. And to actually take a Sabbath. Now, how you take your Sabbath, most of it be shaped by you, but here's a couple of things that I think you can think about. Stop and cease all work in creating, paid or unpaid. Engage in things that replenish and restore your mind and body and soul. Delight and reflect on the good work you accomplished this week and then contemplate on the love of God and everything that means. When you do that regularly, frequently, and in a way that builds into the rhythm of your whole life, I promise you, I promise you, you will take hold the abundant life that Jesus promises because your abundance will be from a place of fullness rather than a place of lack. If we want to see the world awaken to the wonder of God in his transcultural church, we have to look like we're living a life rhythm that is desirable. And this is a beautiful, beautiful big step that I hope we all take together. Let's pray. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would apply the word to our hearts and that we would be truly and fully transformed because of it. I pray that you give us rest for our souls, Lord God, and that we not resist it, but that we receive it with joy in Jesus' name. Amen.